So we're in the fruit of the spirit, part number two tonight. We're beginning in John chapter 15, which is, I believe, the most appropriate place to begin any study, anytime you talk about any fruit. Because Jesus here in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 5. We're not going to break it apart too much, but we're just going to read it as a foundation. Because here's what we need to know. Um, We have a foundation. That foundation is Jesus. And no one can build on anything except that that foundation be Jesus. The reason that we get off track spiritually and the reason that false teachers get us off track and the reason that this goes awry is because we begin to build on a foundation that is not Jesus. We begin to lift this up, that up, or whatever. But it is Jesus that is the foundation of the church. It is Jesus that is the foundation of our faith. And it is on that confession of Jesus Christ that we're brought into his church. We become the bride of Christ by the blood of the Lamb and by our faith. Now, this point right here in John chapter 15 is extremely important anytime we talk about fruit. So let's go ahead and read. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, a couple of points I want to make before we launch into our study. Uh, Number one, Jesus is the vine. Okay, there is the life consists in Jesus. Whenever we talk about the cross, when we say, you know, our faith in the cross, what we're talking about is our faith in who God is, that he came to this earth, that he manifested in flesh, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he conquered death on the third day, and that he is ascended on high. When we're talking about the cross, we're talking about the fact that God came here and did what he did and conquered this place. And that that's what our faith is in. Our standing before God rests in what God did. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, that we have an advocate with the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ. He is our advocate. He does not tell the Father, hey, they're a good guy. Look what they did. Hey, that's a good girl. Look what she did. Jesus, as our advocate, doesn't stand there and do that. As our advocate, he says, Father, they trust me. My work is perfect. They've ceased from their own work and they trusted mine. When he advocates for us, he advocates not our works, but our faith in his. And so that's the vine. When we trust in him, that's the vine. And from that vine flows life. As you stop trying to be all that you can be, and you let God have you and be all that he can be in you, then the vine will begin to grow. And that is where so many people go wrong because he says, without me, you can do nothing. So whenever we're talking about the cross, secondly, is we're saying this, the cross is not introductory level to Christianity 101. The cross is the vine. 
What God did on the cross is divine. Who Jesus is will forever be attached to the cross because He incarnated and He'll always be incarnated now and forevermore. When He took on flesh, get this, He'll never lay it down again. He, he resurrected with a redeemed body. That redeemed body has holes in the wrist and in the side and, and, and has eyes of fire and hair like wool. That body that he, that he incarnated in will forever be attached to what he did at that cross. So when we talk about the cross, it's not introductory to Christianity. It is, but it, it, that is what Christianity subsists in. That is the substance of Christianity. And so when Jesus said he's divine, that means everything that we do has to be attached to that reality. Amen? And I know that you know that, but that's where life springs from. And I just want you to see. He said that without me, you can do nothing. Do you see that? So we don't, we don't need to run to anyone else for anything else in order to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. You don't have to go to anybody's conference. You don't have to read anybody else's book as long as you got the book. If you've got the book that preaches about the God, the one and only God that laid His life down on that cross for His creation, that, that says that, that if you'll trust in Him and confess Him as your Lord and Savior, that He would save you, Right? If you have that, you have the vine, you have life, you have that which produces fruit, spiritual fruit. Okay, So we don't need, I don't need somebody to coach me in how to do this or how to do that when we have the coach, the Holy Spirit. So understand, without Jesus, you can do nothing. So this is where, like I said, so many people go... Uh, uh, awry. We don't need cute stories and we don't need funny illustrations. We don't have to play games on the we don't have to play games on the platform. We don't have to do any of those kinds of things. You don't have to read a new word. You don't have to learn Greek or Hebrew or Latin or Aramaic. Although those languages are beautiful, I'm not against them. I'm just, you know, I'm for uh, redneck. Um, but but you, it's not to have things against those, but it's to understand that you don't need those things if you have Jesus, okay? You don't need, you don't need to, I mean, you don't have to learn the roots of the Jewish faith when you have the root of Jesse in your soul. You don't have to know those things. So this is why it's so important to not, because people, when the devil or false teachers come to mislead the church of Jesus Christ, he doesn't come and say, I'm here to mislead you. He comes as an angel of light to, and, and he masquerades as an angel of light. And so he'll tell you spiritual truths to deviate you off of the vine. You have to understand that. So Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. When we're talking about fruit, we're talking about you and Jesus. Okay, last point. When we're talking about fruit, we're talking about you and Jesus. Nobody can tell you how to bear fruit. Nobody can coach you how to bear fruit. You can't put more money in the offering plate and begin to produce more fruit. You, you can't memorize this and get more fruit. You, you, you can't uh, sharpen your pencil and get more fruit. It, this fruit is born out of you and Jesus' relationship. It's a relationship. It is about, and I'll just say this, okay? And I got to move on because we got to cover the, 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 uh, the last six. We've got to cover the last six. But uh, there's times that I have to, I have, there's times that I have to not study 
because I hear, I hear that, that still small voice calling me to the prayer closet. Understand what I mean? And there's times that there's times to study. You have to study and show yourself approved. But there's times that we can, we we would rather read a devotional or read a book or read anything rather than get down on our knees and 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 just spend intimate time alone with the Lord. And 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 sometimes that conversation don't need to be one way. Sometimes it's not all about me telling the Lord that I want a new car and a new bicycle and I wanted this and. I, Sometimes it's about me just sitting and listening to him, saying, Lord, speak. I just want to sit at your feet and, 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 and hear your heartbeat. I, I just want to love on you and let you know that I, I, I'm here. I'm not going. I'm taking my watch off. I, I, you know, I'm here. And, and sometimes we have to do that, and what will happen, I promise you, if you do that, what will happen is the, the flame of of relationship will begin to be birthed again. That that abiding presence of God will begin to be reflamed in your life. And God will begin to restore and reawaken so many great and mighty things in your life. But it all it all consists in one word abide. If you don't abide in Jesus, the fruit won't flow. But If you abide in Jesus, fruit will flow. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a hermeneutic teacher. You don't have to know theology. If you abide in Jesus, fruit will flow out of you. That's why I love the way that God did it. Because God used fishermen. God used uneducated folks. I love Amos. Amos is one of my favorite Old Testament prophets. And and I love the fact that God used Amos because whenever Amos began to prophesy and preach, the, the, the religious crowd came up to him and they said, who are you? Where are your credentials? Who'd you study under? Where did you come up with all this? He said, I was just a farmer. I was just a farmer, but God called me. I mean, that's what it's about. It it is about just you abiding in the Lord. And if you'll abide in Him, fruit will flow out of you. If you'll come and just tell the Lord, I'm present, God will say, hallelujah. And that's a lot of times what many people miss, is just coming and being present with Jesus. You cannot... Uh, make up for it okay so the fruit of the spirit is not that these things are just available to you but these things you will possess as you abide in Jesus and as you'll see tonight these things will actually grow you see here in verse 2 that Jesus said that either fruit is in you or it's not if it's not in you the father will cut you off but it's if it's in you he's going to do something so that more fruit will come you know why you got a hard situation? How many of y'all have a hard situation in your life? Okay. I thought I was alone for a minute. It's like, man, I need to go back to the drawing board. No, it, it, that's the reality of life. We all do those. We all have struggles. We all have battles. Why? God is refining us. God is sharpening us. God is getting us to ever depend on him. But God's teaching us along the way. He's teaching us. How many of y'all have, has God brought you through a battle? And on the backside of it, you said, man, God was faithful. God got me from one side of that thing to the other. 
Because I remember, I remember what it was like when I didn't have God. I remember those battles. And I remember some battles that I've been in that I didn't think we were going to get out of. And God got us through. God got us through. And sometimes it's step by step. It's breath by breath. But God gets you through. And that, that is awesome. But that teaches us that we can trust God. Because I don't know what battle I'm going to face tonight. I don't know what battle I'm going to face tomorrow. But I know I can trust God in it. Amen. Because if he was faithful yesterday, he's going to be faithful what? Tomorrow too. All right. So let's go over to Galatians chapter 5. And let's begin to break, break these down a little bit. Hallelujah. We got six of them to cover. And we're going to cover them in Jesus' name. Last time we talked, we're, we're going to pick it up in verse 22. We're not going to go all the way through all uh, uh, that we did last time. It says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit, which is the opposite of the works of the flesh, the fruit of the, the, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. It'd be good to memorize these things, and if you, especially if you use the King James Bible, it's for me. It's easy because love, joy, and peace is the top three. That's the one everybody knows. Uh, the the next ones go in alphabetical order: um, gentleness, goodness, faith. Gentleness, goodness, faith, and and then you then you have uh, long suffering right before that, and then meekness and temperance to finish it. Now watch this. We're going to look at long suffering tonight. So love, joy, and peace, the fourth fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. A lot of times people will say it's patience. That's a good word, patience. Nobody that I know of prays for patience. Long-suffering means to bear injury or provocation for a long time. That doesn't sound like fun. To bear injury or provocation for a long time. This is the one. This is the one. I sometimes use this illustration, but this is that one where we say, I have had it up to here, and I'm done. That's where long-suffering went. Because long-suffering bears injury. Not, not, you know, not a broken foot, a broken heart. Maybe pride. Maybe somebody disrespected you. Or for our generation, that offends me. Well, you could say, suck it up, buttercup. But that probably won't go well. But if they know God, they've got this, long-suffering. Long-suffering is when you may get offended, somebody may disrespect you or diss you or talk bad about you, down to you, injure you, your heart, your soul hurt you somehow. And, and how many of you know a lot of times family is the one that can inflict the most damage? Family can say a word that just tears you to pieces. If, if somebody from that you don't know says, I knew you'd never amount to anything, that's water off the duck's back. But when it's somebody that's been close to you says something like that, it, it, it can rock the, the boat. So, Long-suffering bears injury or provocation for a long time. Um, 
Another definition from Webster says that it is not easily provoked, slow to right a wrong. Get that. Slow to right a wrong. When was the last time you knew somebody that, that didn't take any hurry about correcting someone about them? Just maybe somebody was gossiping about you. Maybe somebody was tearing you down. Maybe somebody was doing this, this, this. Man, we are so quick to defend ourselves and correct that situation. You have no right saying that to me. Don't you know what I did for you? Long-suffering bears that thing. Now that, look, these are things, you don't learn these things. You don't, you, you, you don't uh, learn a concept or a trick on how to do this better. I can't teach you how to do this. This is a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said that it only comes, He said, without me you can do nothing. So this comes by your abiding in Jesus. There's no, there's no magical trick or conference or t-shirt you can wear to get that. Long-suffering. It only comes by you abiding in that secret place with Jesus. And look, if you don't do that, I can't help you. No, everybody can tell you, it's okay, take it easy. Cut them some slack. Everybody can do that, but it won't help because our flesh has its limits. But how many of you know the Spirit of God don't? The Spirit of God can, can do exceedingly great things through us and cause us to have a, a, an extremely long leash when it comes to long-suffering. How do we know this? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit and God is long-suffering. All of these fruit of the Spirit are, are attached to God, part of His character. And it is the more you abide in Jesus and the more the Spirit of God is in you, this will begin to flow. And you don't get one. You don't get gypped out. You don't, you don't get to skip love, joy, and peace and God just gives you a bunch of long-suffering because you got to deal with it. That's not how God is. He gives all nine at the same time. They're ever-growing in all of us. They are the, not the fruits. They are the fruit of the Spirit. They are one and all at at the same time. So the more you the more you invest your heart into Jesus and the more Jesus is alive in you, the more this will be producing in you. Amen. Now we know a couple of places I, I I'm not going to go uh too, too far in this but um in in 2 Peter chapter 3 the Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. But God is long-suffering. He is long-suffering. Do you know what? Everybody, everybody is ready for Jesus to come back today. But I'm glad he didn't come back the day before I got saved. And the, and the more his long-suffering is there, the more opportunity our loved ones have to get saved. So we love that God is long-suffering. If you have a spouse that's not saved, or you have a child that's not saved, or a grandparent that's not saved, or a, a grandchild, or you have a cousin or a neighbor, if you have somebody that you love that you're praying for their soul, man, you're counting on God's long-suffering because, look, God could shut the door today. He could. And the only reason He don't is because He's long-suffering. It's, I promise you, it's not because he just enjoys watching the, 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 the trash. It's because there's souls out there. He's bearing long with the trash going on in this world 
so that more souls get saved. That's why I don't mind going out and if people flip us off when we evangelize, I don't mind. Why? Because God don't mind. Because God's after that soul. God is bearing long with the filth and the trash of this world so that He can reach somebody because He's interested in saving souls. He's not willing that any perish. And God knows, God knows who's going to respond to the gospel at what time. And how He works all that out, it's above our pay grade. But what we do know is that God is long-suffering. And we can thank God for long-suffering. Amen? What does the absence of long-suffering look like in us? Well, I kind of told you. I kind of gave you a hint, right? I've had it up to here. You know how many times I heard that growing up? How many times it came out of me before I got saved? But here's what I have for the absence. And if you weren't here last week, what I did is as we go through these fruit, I talk about what they do and then what the absence of it looks like in us so that we'll kind of get a concept of why we really need to abide in Jesus. It, it, and, and, when, and so here it is. Absence is irritable. Irritable. You know what that is like? Irritable. Easily provoked. So long-suffering is not easily provoked. Somebody that is irritable is easily provoked. Man, you got to go to the grocery store again. Ah. Man, I don't want to watch that. Ah, you're late again. Ah, you know, irritable. This is an irritable person. Is somebody who is, 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 look. Long-suffering is the absence of that. It is not easily provoked. Another, another uh, sign of the absence of long-suffering is hot-headedness. I won't look around on that one. Because we, we don't want to look at anybody that uses road rage or gets mad about politics and this and that. Hot-headedness, easily set off. How about this one? I knew this one very well at one point in my life. Well, you got to walk on eggshells around folks. You know what it's like to walk on eggshells around folks? That's somebody that's not long-suffering in an issue. It's, it, there's, there, now, that, what, is, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to tell you that long-suffering has a perfect work. And as you abide in Jesus and he abides in you, what did he tell you? What, what would the Father do to that fruit? He would prune it so that it would bear more fruit. So the longer we walk with God, the more God's snipping and cutting, pushing and prying and trying. He'll put us in the oven, put us in that tester, get us out of that tester, and we'll be refined a little bit further. More pure faith. Amen? So someone that's easily set off and, and, and walk, you got to walk on eggshells around them as someone who has not uh, this fruit of the Spirit in their life. Uh, the next one is gentleness. Let's move on to gentleness. I, I, I will say this. Let me, um, let, let, me, let me take you over here to 2 Timothy real quick. Just keep your finger there. I'm, I'm going to be quick, but I want to I show you this. I feel led of the Lord to show you this. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is um, one of the commands that Paul's giving to Timothy about how to preach and why we preach. How many of you know sometimes you preach and it looks like it falls on deaf ears? Come on. Well, we don't, well, biblical preachers don't preach for the roses. 
that people throw. Biblical preachers preach for the applause of heaven. Are you with me? So we're not out to win over a crowd. We're out just to be obedient to Jesus. So when, when, when it comes to this, I want you to see this because this you can apply to your life because as preachers, we have to apply it to our life. But how many of you know, especially here, we challenge you. You need to share your faith with your children. You need to share your faith with your loved ones, with your spouse, with those around you that aren't saved. They're not going to get saved by... by you know, not hearing the gospel. They need to hear the gospel. They need to see the gospel in you. They need to see the change in our lives. But look at this. In verse 2, 2 Timothy 4, he says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. You know what that means? That means you can't give up on the people you're preaching to. That's what that means. I've told her that if she don't turn, she's going to burn. That's what we say, right? I've, I've told him that if he doesn't get things right, he's going to destroy his life. Okay, but keep telling him and keep ta- saying it in love. Say it with that anointing on your life. And listen, sometimes you have to preach with long suffering. In other words, it's not always one and done. Sometimes you've got to be faithful to keep, just keep preaching the truth over and over and over and over and be faithful. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. People around me, you know, through my teenage years up into those college years, every time I was around, you need to stop doing this. I'm praying that you get right with God. You're wrecking your life. And it was going in one ear and out the other. But they just kept preaching and kept preaching and kept preaching to me and kept preaching to me and kept preaching. Kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. And then one day it all just the dam broke. But I thank God that there were so many people that were long suffering in their preaching. They didn't stop. They didn't, they didn't say, I told you and I'm not going to tell you no more. But they, they, they said it in love, but they said it over and over. And they might have got tired, but I, I believe that the fruit of the Spirit kicked in with long-suffering. And they just began to say, well, there's Kenny. I mean, I don't know if he's ever going to get it, but I'm just going to keep on just saying what needs to be said. I'm, I'm sharing this verse with you just to show you that sometimes we give up on people. Sometimes we give up on people. Don't. God didn't give up on you. And you might say, well, they've walked away. I've I've washed my hands with it. Long suffering. Long suffering. Suffer long on that thing. Just Just keep bringing that word back. The word will not return null or void. It will accomplish what God set it out to accomplish. So be faithful in the fact of trusting God in it and be long-suffering. So preach to your friends and family. Sometimes you've got to do it. with. Now, I've been around some people that when I begin preaching, I know immediately God's working. That heart is opening up. The Spirit's coming down. And I mean, I, I, I can barely get the whole gospel out before they're crying in tears and, and, and ready to go. But there's other times when you preach to people, they don't want to hear it more than a man in the moon. So sometimes you've got to be long-suffering and not give up. I'm showing you this for a reason. 
Because your witness, sometimes you've got to be long-suffering. It is a fruit of the Spirit. You can't do this, but God can do it through you. Okay? Amen? Okay, so let's go back over there so we can get into gentleness real quick. Galatians 5, the next one is gentleness. Now, most people know what gentleness means. You may have an understanding in your mind what it means, but we're studying, so we're just going to do it right. Uh, Webster's says for gentleness, it means to be accessible. Accessible. How about that? Accessible to accommodate others, to condescend toward others. In other words, to be approachable. To be approachable. If you're gentle, you're, you're, you're approachable. People can come to you. You're accessible. You, in other words, you, you're, you don't have a wall up. You don't have a wall up. You're gentle. People, people, feel, people feel compelled that they can talk to you. You're not, you don't think that you're all this. You don't, you, know, you don't put on this front, but you make yourself accessible no matter who they are or what's going on. And I love the fact that it says condescend towards others. Somebody even know Jesus did that. He condescended to us. The first advent. You know, when Jesus comes back the second time, he's coming back with fire and vengeance. The first time he came back, it's, the theologians characterize it as his humiliation. Because for God to incarnate in flesh and do what he did, it was humiliation. And he walked in that. He made himself accessible. He made himself approachable. What is the absence of gentleness in our life like? Unapproachable. Will not accommodate others. Paul, over and over through the, through the epistles that he wrote, he would always tell the, the Thessalonians or the, the Corinthians, he came and he was making himself available for them. He, was, he said, you know, to the Jew I became a Jew, to the Gentile I became a Gentile, to those in the law I had the law, to those without the law without the law. He was everything to all men. Why? He was condescending towards them. He was making himself approachable to them. He was trying to relate to them. He was opening himself up to them. One of my, one of my heroes in the faith is D.O. Moody. His book, Overcoming Life, is one of the best ones that you can uh, read from the old school guys. D.O. Moody, he said that he got made fun of by the, by the church crowd in London because they brought him over there to preach because they heard oh this man's anointed let's bring him over here and have him preach and he started preaching and they just started making fun of him because he was just simplistic he didn't use three dollar words he didn't have any tricks up his sleeve he didn't do the the bird in the hat he didn't do any of that he just had a simplistic message of the gospel I, I, I heard one recording of him preaching on the the um, Sermon on the Mount and I mean it's just as simple as you can get simple but you know what he, he said that he he had no intention of preaching above people and sometimes preachers try to preach above people. They try to make themselves look smarter. They try to make themselves look higher than. And I thank God for one of my pastors. He's, you know, he's a very accessible guy. And, you know, but he, he, you know, sometimes preachers get that thought in their head and they preach above people. Well, sometimes we can do that, especially if you're around like maybe a baby Christian. Oh, look, they're going through that. <laughs> I remember that day. I remember when I used to struggle with stuff like that. Come on. 
let, let, let's condescend towards them and, and, and try to relate to them with, with compassion and be gentle towards them. And, and, I, and that's why I love D.O. Moody and, and, and because his desire was to connect with the common folks. That was his desire, connecting with the common folks. And you know what? If you'll trust the Lord and let this fruit of the Spirit begin to flow in your life, you'll have a renewed desire to connect with common folks. You'll have a renewed desire to be gentle to people and condescend towards them. I mean, you even know that Jesus did that. I'll give you an example. You don't have to turn to it. Luke 18. You can look at it later. In Luke 18, you remember whenever the, 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 the little children were coming to him and the disciples said, no, 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 we can't do that right now. And Jesus said, suffer the little children to come to me. Such, you know, you have to become a little child to enter into heaven. Is what, That faith like that child is what the Lord was looking for. But when these children were coming to Jesus, the disciples said, we don't have time for children's Bible story hour. We have big things we're doing. We're casting out demons. I mean, we're healing the sick. We're raising the dead. We're doing all these things. And, and we don't have time to start talking about, you know, we little Zacchaeus crawling up the tree. We don't have time for the Bible stories, little kids. Because you know that's how we are. We're like, oh, we don't have time for that. I got to and, and, and in our own lives, we sometimes get that way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this back to your personal life, right? Because sometimes we think, oh, I, I need to learn something new. I need to hear something I never heard before. No, we need to become like those children again and go back over the, go back over the gospel facts and fall in love with the Lord all over again today. And, 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 and Jesus was like, oh, let's let these kids come to me. I want to pray over them. I want to, I want to touch them. I want to hold them. I want to just bless them. He, he, didn't, he was not too busy. He wasn't too busy for them. He wasn't too busy for the woman with the issue of blood. He wasn't too busy for the guy whose daughter died. He wasn't too busy for the guy whose son was filled with the demon. He wasn't too busy for the guy that was filled with lesion. He wasn't too busy for any of those things. And he's not too busy for you, and he's not too busy for those around you that just don't get it like you. Some people... You just say, ah, they're never going to get it. I got to put up with them. No, the Lord has to put up with us. <laughs> it, but if, if the fruit of the Spirit's flowing in us, then we'll have a renewed compassion on them and we'll be gentle towards them and we'll be understanding and we'll, you know what, maybe we got to go five paces slower because of them. Oh, well, how much slower does the Lord have to walk because of us? So we have, to, we have to understand for the Lord to come down and minister to me, I know he's got to speak really slow sometimes. Kenny. You know, I know he's got to speak really slow because I'm dull-headed sometimes. I don't get it right off the bat. Well, other people around us are the same way. So we can't, we can't get mad at them. And we can't, you know, get on them because they don't get it yet. They don't have this yet. They don't have that yet. The Lord's not like that with us. Amen? So, how many of you are glad he's not like that? I'm glad he waits. I'm glad that he's gentle. I'm glad that he's willing to condescend to me. And, and, and like I said, the absence of that is, is when we are unapproachable or we won't accommodate others. 
You know, that's what cliques do. I thank God we don't have those in this church. I've seen churches with cliques. I thank God we don't, but I've seen it. But what, how do those things start is because we don't, we, you know, we don't accommodate other people. It's, that's where it begins. You know, you know what I'm talking about? When you know something and they know something, but this other person don't, and you don't tell them. That's called not accommodating them. But when we're gentle of spirit, we do. Because we know God did that for us. And God was willing to bring us in. Amen? Okay, so let's move on to goodness. How many of y'all know what it means to be good? Didn't Jesus say there's none good but what? There's none good but God. Goodness is a form of the word God. But what does it actually mean to be good? And I actually had to look this one up because I was like, I mean, I think I know what good means. Um, and, and, and at the first beginning of it, I was like, okay, but the definition from Webster's is quality of value, excellence and perfection, qualities of value, excellence and perfection. In other words, it works right. Let me tell you the, 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 the way that I, I see this. When, when the Holy Spirit is working goodness in us, this is kind of like peace. This is an overarching um, fruit of the Spirit. But goodness, how many of you know whenever you go buy a car that's used, first question you ask, is it any good? What do you mean by that? Does it work? Does it work like it's supposed to work? Is it any good? And so when goodness is a fruit of our spirit, it is us just showing that we are God's and God is in us and we're doing what God wants us to do. We are who God wants us to be and we are accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. In other words, we're working right. We're not a broke down, busted up car that don't run no more. But God has our engine purring. God has gas in the tank. There's wheels on the car. Everything's functioning. Amen? And I'm not trying to be too automotive for y'all, but let me show you what I'm talking about. Uh, turn, turn with me over there to Matthew chapter 5. Let, let me show you this. Matthew 5. Does it work? That's what we want to know. So when we're talking about goodness, we're, we're talking about does something actually work? Matthew 5, verse 13, Sermon on the Mount. Look what Jesus said about good. Just so you'll see it. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Is it thenceforth, it is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. So Jesus here is talking about salt that loses its saltiness. I saw a, 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 a thing one time when somebody said they had salt that was like thousands of years old, but it expires, you know, next year. It's like, it's crazy. But salt, here, the Lord was talking about salt. Whenever it's no longer salty, it's not good for anything. It's lost its purpose. In other words, it don't work. There's no point in it. And if goodness is one of the fruit of the Spirit, what the Lord is showing us is that we are functioning right. That, that we're plugged in. 
that we're, um, you know, we're on board, we're rolling. Goodness is an indicator that all systems are go. Now, I can't do that. I'm going to, I, I, I got to say this. I can't do that because my systems are not all go. I wake up with issues. Sometimes I have battles. Man, sometimes when I pray, there is so much spiritual battle. You, you, you wouldn't believe it. Maybe you would. Spiritual battles are real. So, and, and, and sometimes the enemy, you know, is, is, is very precise in his arguments. So in order for all things to work right in me, I can't lean on me because I, I would be all over the map. But if the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, that means that everything functions the way it's supposed to function. That is a product not of me learning something. This is a product not of me un uncovering a hidden truth that nobody's ever gotten. This is not me finding out something that nobody else knows about. This is not me learning some Greek or Hebrew or speaking the right thing or memorizing. This is none of that. Goodness flows from abiding in Jesus. That's it. An uneducated illiterate, blind farmer can have goodness flowing through them if they abide in Jesus. It is not about education. It is not about social standing. It is not about any of the things that the carnal flesh looks to. It is about your soul and Jesus being connected. Jesus said, I in you and you in me. And without me, you can do nothing. That means without that process right there, no goodness will flow out of you. It'll, it'll all have a contrived, soulish, worldly angle to it. Are you with me? So praise God for goodness. The next one, do y'all remember what the next one was? Somebody want to shout it out? Faith. <laughs> Faith. So it's, it's gentleness, goodness, faith. Now this one is one of my favorite ones. Faith is one of my favorite ones. We're not talking about faith in the way that you think. Okay? Um, so over there in, 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 uh, the, on the fruit of the Spirit, there is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Boom. What does it mean to have faith as a fruit of the Spirit? Do you think that it means that God's going to uh, cause you to believe? No, that's not what it is. It means actually that you'll be faithful. Faithful. Full of faith. It means that faith will be in operation in you. Now, let's, we're going to take that a step further. Faith in its pure essence is what? It's trusting God and believing what he said. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Right? So faith in a, in, in a nutshell is trusting God and believing what he says. Listen. But if that's in you, this is not something you do. It's something that's in you. So if, if you having faith in God means you can trust what he says and you know he'll do what he said he'll do. That means if that 
if, if faith is a fruit of the Spirit in you, that means I can trust what you say. And I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you said you would do it, I know you'll do it. Because God's working in you. God lives in you. And so now I know you're a man of your word. You're a woman of your word. Now I know that if you said if you said that you was going to do this, this, and this, I know I don't even have to call you and ask you if you got it done. Because I don't have to call God and ask him if he got something done. Because if he said it, I believe it. We even have that saying. They used to say that in the church I got saved. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. What would it be like if people said that about you? What if they said, you know, Brother Joe said it. That settles it for me. I mean, he said it. He, he would walk on glass before he let his word, you know, die. You know, we used to be able to, we used to, be able to, to, to buy things with a handshake. Y'all remember those days? Can't do that now. Now we got to draw blood out you and stuff. We got to find out, you know, where you from and all. But it used to be a handshake was enough. If somebody, if somebody gave that word, then that word was enough because they knew that you wouldn't go back on that word. That's what this is. That, we need this in the church. We need this in our lives. We need this one. Now, I, I remember, I remember being, being able to go to the store. Um, I, you had to walk, right? But I remember being able to walk to, and I'm not even that old, I don't think. But, uh, but I remember being able to walk to the store in, in, in um, you know, on a good week, and, and they would just let me get a drink or something because they, they trusted that my dad would pay the bill at the end of the week. They, my dad told them, hey, if my son comes down here and wants something, give it to him. I'll, I'll catch you at the end of the week. And because that word, that word was a bond. They knew, they knew that they could trust. It, it was, he was a man of his word. So here, this is what faith is. It is if, if me getting saved is trusting God, believing what he said, then when that same faith is in us working through the spirit, that means that other people can trust us and that we'll do what we say, just like we know God will do what he says. Um, Adam Clark is a uh, commentator. He's probably one of the most easily accessible. You can get it for free, PDF, all kinds of stuff. Uh, that, I, I use those kinds, that, you know. Um, but Adam Clark says this about this fruit of the Spirit. He said that this faith means that, that we perform our promises. That we are careful to preserve what is committed to our trust. That we are not betraying a secret of a friend. And lastly, that we are transacting the business confided to us. These are things that somebody that is faithful does. Somebody that, uh, David says this in Psalm 15. He says that, that, that a righteous person is someone who swears to their own hurt. Do you all know that verse? Swears to their own hurt. Let me show you that. Psalm 15, verse 4. Flip over there real quick. 
Psalm 15, verse 4. I want to show you this. That means if I, if I said it, I'm going to make it happen no matter what I got to do. Psalm 15, 4. At the beginning of this psalm, David says, Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle and who shall dwell in your holy hill? He that walks uprightly works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. In other words, this psalm is a psalm of, of David characterizing a righteous person that will go to heaven. And he says in verse 4, in whose aisles a vile person is condemned, but he honors them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changes not. That's exactly what we're talking about. Someone that swears to their own hurt is someone that says, you know what? I, I, I told them that I wasn't going to leave the job until I, I did this, this, and, and I forgot to. I told them I was going to shut that window, and I drove all the way home. But I told them I would do it. I promised them I would do it. And so then you get back in your car and you go all the way back up there and you do what you said you were going to do. Even though it costs you. That's, that's similar. Swearing to your own hurt. If you said it, you do what you got to do to honor that thing. That's what he's talking about. That's what we don't have working anymore in the church. What's the absence of that look like? Someone unreliable and untrustworthy. It means you, if they say it, it don't matter. You might catch them on a good day when they honor it, and you might catch them on another day when they act like they never even said it. How many of you have been around someone like that? I mean, you almost need to say, can you say that one more time? <laughs> I'll record you this time. Because last time I didn't record you, and you acted like you never said it, but I know you said it because I know I'm not crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Hopefully, you know, that's not hitting too close to home. But let me show you an example of that real quick. Acts 13, Acts 15, I'm sorry, Acts 15. A story that you know, I just want to show you. Because when we're unreliable in the church, you know what happens? When we're unreliable in the church, that means other people got to pull our weight. Right? Oh, I'm going to do it. You can count on me. I remember a time, <laughs> I remember, you know, we used to have people doing things at the church and they would wait till Saturday to do them. And I mean, they got so unreliable, we had to be like, you're going to have to do it on Thursday because, you know, it's 50-50 whether you're going to do it or not because we can't trust your word. And then if you don't trust your word, that gives us a couple of days to make sure we get it done. There's how many? Sometimes you got to be like that with people. Because if we don't honor our word, then we're unreliable. And people have to compensate for it. Mark, this happened to Mark in the Bible. Mark and Paul, remember that? So this happened there. And just to show you that it's always happened, it's not just new. It's just a thing. In, in, in Acts 15, verse 37, it says, Barnabas... Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. John Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them. Why, Paul? Who departed from them from Pamphylia. 
and went not with them to the work. He launched, when, when the missionary team of Paul and Barnabas launched out, I mean, they had all the churches around. They were just, yeah, go Paul, go Barnabas. And John Mark was there, and he was like, he got the I'm on a mission trip t-shirt. He was like, yes, I got it, you know. Um, he got his passport ready. He got the t-shirt, all that stuff. And they come to the first city, and you know what happens when Paul preaches? Bad stuff. He don't get just flipped off. He gets, you know, they try to kill folks. When Paul's preaching that anointing flies, the devil don't like it. And John Mark says, I'm out. I'm out. I got my t-shirt. I got my passport checked. Everybody thought I was, you know, I'm I'm a missionary now. He went to the first city and he checked out. He went home. And, and Paul's like, no, he didn't go to the work with us, so he can't go on the second trip. And it caused a divorce between Barnabas and Paul. They divorced from this point forward as far as we can tell. This is why Saul and Paul, uh, um, uh, this is why uh, Paul goes with Silas. This is why there's this divorce right there between Barnabas and Paul because of this issue right here because somebody wasn't trustworthy. Somebody said they were going to do something. I'm going with you. We're going to do this thing. I'm going to the work. I'm going to be a helper with you. I'm going to lift you up in prayer. I'm going to fight with you. I got your back. First battle, I'm out. That's untrustworthy, right? Okay. So that is a, 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 a work of faith. That's faith working. Is We got two more. We got time to get it. All right, let's get it real quick. Meekness is the next one. Meekness working in us. This is one of my favorites. This is not my favorite, but this is one of my favorites because it characterizes Jesus so well. Meekness simply means this, power under control or power restrained. When, when I grew up, when people said meek, we always thought of weak, but it is the opposite of weak. To be meek means to have all the power but not use it. This embodied Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth, he says in Matthew uh, chapter 11, he said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What do you say? Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly. I am meek and lowly. In other words, come unto me, I'm meek. I, I have all this power, but I'm not using it. I'm restraining it. I'm making myself accessible to you. I'm gentle towards you. I'm accommodating you. I am meek. That is power being restrained. Just the fact that God came here to this earth and, and he is God, but he made himself to where if you looked at him, you didn't go blind. That is meekness. The fact that he allowed people to touch him is meekness. He had all the power. Whenever he was eating, he didn't have to eat. Like he could have looked at something and imagined a cornstalk and it came up. He could have done anything. He had all the power, but he didn't use it. He didn't use it. He laid aside his glory and he walked with humanity. He didn't lay aside his deity. He was deity under control. This is what meekness means. So if meekness is operating in us, you know what that looks like in you? What does it look like in you? 
It means that if you have the ability to do something, if you have the authority to do something, you don't, in other words, you don't have to swing the hammer at people. You don't have to get on a power trip. You, you, you don't have to, you know, yell at folks. You don't have to even be conceited about it. I've seen people sometimes, I've said this a lot, but sometimes I've seen people that, you know, we call people that are conceited, they've got their nose up in the air. And sometimes people are like that, but Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus was accept, accessible to people. The, the Greek on the word meekness, um, I saw it's, uh, a, a guy break that down before, but he said that that Greek is a wild stallion that's been harnessed. That's the picture of it. Um, the picture. So a, a picture of a wild stallion, how many of you know we, we use horsepower still to characterize cars, right? That's got this much horsepower. A horse has all kinds of power, but it's that wild horse that's been bridled. It's, it's still capable of everything it's ever been capable of, but it's willing to be bridled. It's willing to be reserved in it. How many of you know Jesus exuded meekness when he was on the cross? And they said, if you be the son of God, come down, call down angels, do this. do." And they were mocking him, spitting at him, laughing at him. They were doing all these things and he was exuding meekness because he had the power to come off the cross. But the cross was why he came. So he exuded meekness. He exuded it. He even said in Matthew 21, whenever he was coming down uh, the, the, on the Olivet Discourse, you remember the triumphal entry to Jerusalem? What was Jesus sitting on? He was sitting on a donkey. But the prophecy says he came meekly sitting on an ass. That's what the prophecy says in Zechariah. And that's what he did. He came meekly sitting on an ass. What does that mean? Jesus Look, if, if we were the king of kings, we'd be coming down on a horse with wings. We, we wouldn't have got born in the stable. We would have got born in the palace. If you was the king and you was writing the story, you know it. Jesus was born in a stable. There was no room for him in the end. Just like there's no room for him in our world. He was born in that manger. Dirty manger, around animals, filthy animals, right? Because he's meek. He's lowly. And, and he didn't go riding to, on, on the triumphal entry. He didn't ride a horse. He didn't ride a Roman horse. He didn't ride this. He, didn't, he, he was just Jesus on an ass. How awesome is that? He's meek. This is the king of kings. The Creator. He was going to die. And His triumphal entry was on a donkey. That's our Jesus. And that's how we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be on a power trip. We're not supposed to be thinking we're all that. We're not supposed to be, uh. We're supposed to be meek. Not self-conceited, not on a power trip. Now, my last one is temperance. In some Bibles, it's called self-control. That's a good definition. Self-control. Self-control is a good one. But it doesn't get it all. It kind of does, but it doesn't get it all. Temperance is my favorite one. 
Temperance is my favorite one. Temperance means just simply being controlled by the Spirit of God. The more that you abide in Jesus, the more Jesus abides in you, the more temperance will be in you. The more the Spirit will control you. In other words, you'll never be... If you're, if you're controlled by the Spirit, guess what? You're not. You're not out of control. You ever known somebody out of control? I'm going to show you a couple of things on this one, and then, but this is good. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 30. I'm going to show you something very important on temperance. Now, temperance back in the day, um, when, when how many of y'all know that there used to be a big battle, which a lot of people dropped it, there used to be a big battle in our nation about alcohol. They abolished it at one point for a few years. Sadly, some of my folks went to jail over it because they were bootleggers. But, but back in the day when they were trying to abolish alcohol, the, the word was temperance. That's, that was the battle. That was the theology of it, temperance. Watch this. Exodus 30. Verse 34, this is whenever Moses is given directions by God about, um, about how to make this oil. It says, the Lord said unto Moses, take unto these sweet spices staked in Antia and Galbin, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight. But God doesn't tell you the weight. Okay. He just told Moses. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection, after the art of the apothecary, listen to this, tempered together, pure and holy. This, this was a, 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 an incense, a perfume, and an oil that God put together, and he, he told Moses how much of each thing, listen to this, he told Moses how much of each thing to temper together. Whenever I make soup, I always temper it differently every time. Uh, I add a few more green beans. I add a few more tomatoes. I add a few more cans of hominy, whatever. I temper it together differently every time, but I'm tempering it, meaning I'm bringing it together to the way it's supposed to be. Temperance means the Holy Spirit holds you together. Get this. Get this. This is why I love temperance. So whenever I'm making a soup, I taste it, and I'm like... That don't have enough salt, so I put in salt. When the Holy Spirit looks at you, and he says, hmm, she don't have this. He puts in this. And then the Holy Spirit may look at you and say, hmm, he's got a little bit too much that. I'm going to have to water that one down. The, the Holy Spirit, in other words, is, is hovering you and monitoring you and making sure that you're not out of control, but you're controlled by the Spirit. You have self-control. You're tempered the right way that God wants you to be tempered. In other words, this is, this is what gets me. I don't ever get too high. As my grandma would say, bigger than my britches. I don't ever get too high, and I never have to get too low. See, the Holy Spirit knows when I get too high to bring me down. But he also knows when I get too low how to bring me up. 
temperance, a fruit of the Spirit. This is not something you learn. It's something that you possess as you abide in Jesus. Temperance is a, a blessing that comes from God. As you abide in Jesus, this is like just like Moses' face shone when he, when he spent time with God in, in, in the mountain. In the same way, as you spend time with Jesus, this stuff just begins to come in you. And temperance is when, and you know, if you've ever battled depression or if you've ever battled discouragement or you've ever battled, you know, pride or something, this hits. Because I've, I've battled you know, depression and discouragement before. And to know that no matter how low I get, God is there. And is, if I'm abiding in him, then there's a bottom to it. And he'll pull me back up and get me back to the place I need to be so that I can be who he's called me to be. I have that self-control, not of my own accord, but because the spirit of God is in me. He's tempering all the time. He's saying, oh, he's getting too low. Let me bring him back up. I didn't do that. He did. Oh, he's getting too high. Let me bring him back. I didn't do that. He did. You might be getting in left field. You might start listening to the wrong teachings and going the wrong way and erring, but the Holy Ghost says, okay, you're a little bit too far over here. We're going to bring this thing back in. Self-control. It is temperance. It is God just keeping you where you need to be. It's awesome. There's other illustrations in the New Testament, God, in... in let me close with this one. Let me close with this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll close with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 24. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 24. It, it, it's, it's finding the right balance. This one, if you'll study this one, it, it, it will hit so beautifully. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 24. Yes, indeed. Well, what does it look like to not have temperance in your life? Out of control. Out of control. You know, one of the things that, uh, um, let me say, I'll say that in a minute. So look at verse 24. It says, for our comely parts have no need. Why? But God has tempered the body together. Brought it. He brings in what needs to be brought in, right? God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body. You've got to get that. So God knows in a church, God knows in a church where the weak link is. Okay? And he says, look, look how he says it right there. He says that... Um, he gives more abundant honor to the part which lacked. You know what that means? God found the weak link, and he gave more honor to that part so that there'd be no schism in the church. Meaning, a schism means a, 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 a bad party, a fight, a breakup, a separation. So, that's what God does in the church. God knows when to bring in the right singers. Or teachers. God knows when we need a this word or a that word. He brings in the right things at the right time in his church because he's doing a job. And he knows where something's weak and he, 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 he addresses it. Right? Now internalize that. God's looking at you. And he's seeing where the weak link is in you. And he'll supply the need abundantly. So that there's no schism in there. 
so that there's no breakup in there, so that there's no shattering in there, so that I don't break apart, but I break through, so that I don't fall to pieces, but, but I come together in Jesus' name. That self-control, that is a work that God does. I don't do it, God does it. I'm not trying to hold on, He's holding on to me. And as I'm abiding in Him and He's abiding in me, temperance is a work that I know God's doing in my life. He's searching me all the time, He's looking for the weak link, and He will supply abundantly what I need so that there's no schism in me. So I don't, I, I, I can trust Him. I can trust Him. Amen? Hallelujah for that. and, and, And the opposite of that, the absence of it is loss of control, wrecking, shipwreck faith, and go down the gamut. Last thing I'll leave you with is uh, also over in the same chapter, but we won't go there. 1 Corinthians 14, one of the verses over there says that, um, that, that a, uh, um, well, let me just take you there. Let me, let me just close there. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 32. It says, the spirit of the prophets, you know this one. The spirit of the prophets are what? Subject to the prophets. You know what that means? That means no matter what's going on in the church, there's self-control. You, you get this. How many of you know one of the ways that you can tell whether something's of God or not, self-control. Self-control. Even when John was on the Isle of Patmos and he got the vision and he got caught up to heaven and, and, and the voice said in Revelation 4, 1, come up here. And he went up there and he was around the host of heaven and he saw an angel and he fell down to worship. And that angel said, get up. I'm just, I'm just a created being like you, right? You remember that? And he, he heard Jesus' voice and he fell down as dead, but he wasn't dead. If he could do that, he didn't lose control. Because when he was told to get up, he got up. He was still in control. Self-control is a hallmark of God. Hallmark of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's one of our litmus tests. When the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Test the Spirit. Try the Spirit to see if it's of God. One of the hallmarks is, do they have self-control? Do they have temperance working in them? And listen, as you abide in Jesus and He's in you, He will begin to work temperance in your life. I love it because I've battled with depression before, and and I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if it wasn't for the Spirit of God in me, if it wasn't for temperance in me, I would have done bottomed out. But temperance, God knows where my weak link is, and he supplies abundantly to that weak place so that I don't have a schism in me. Hallelujah for that. Amen? All right. Well, praise the Lord. Well, we're going to close right there, and we made it to the end. We almost derailed, but we got there.